<clears throat> All right, so um, <laughs> yeah, I put my head back on. Sometimes it's really hard transitioning from the in-person class to, to the one here on, on Zoom. Um, but one thing that I really loved in the literary message of Isaiah at the, the beginning and end of each chapter, he kind of gives like a, a synopsis of kind of where we've been and where we're headed kind of thing. And so I think that this is um, a very concise way to, to kind of put our, our development here. It says part four um, develops a greater Babylon and it draws on a number of cumulative concepts. It says these include um, the, the previous sections that we've already been through. It says a, a reversal of circumstances between Zion and non-Zion. So that ruin and rebirth principle that we did in the first two weeks the coexistence of two contrasting peoples and their kings. And, and that's part two where we compared and contrasted Ahaz versus King Hezekiah. And then part three, which is the idea of a single composite entity made up of a number of historical types established in, in part three. So by universalizing the idea of a composite entity and by juxtaposing that entity with Zion, Part four now redefines the idea of a reversal of circumstances between Zion and non-Zion. So um, I don't know, I think it's always important to kind of see where we're at in the weeds because <laughs> sometimes Isaiah is uh, uh, quite a journey. And, and so we, we start off with the ruin and rebirth and we go into some, some heavy examples of the um, punishment and deliverance and then, um, or, or sorry, rebellion and compliance, and then into uh, what stems from that rebellion and compliance, which is the punishment and deliverance. Um, and, and now we're going to be headed into this humiliation versus exaltation. So it, it can apply in a few different ways. Um, how we've talked about our own personal descents before we can ascend. Um, but uh, a lot of these chapters and uh, passages here in uh, chapters 13 through 23 and 47 are dealing with the end time uh, servant and his humiliation before he ascends and also the arch tyrant where he um, exalts himself and then is uh, abased. So... Um, yeah, <laughs> there's uh, kind of that, that quick overview. And I wanna screen share just this chart from the book here. <clears throat> so um, this comes from this specific chapter where it contrasts Isaiah 14 with Isaiah 52 and 53. And it's basically kind of a, a summary of the entire literary structure of Isaiah just within these uh, two contrasting chapters. So as we can see in Isaiah 14, we have rebirth, and, and these are all in, in order in chapter 14, and, and that's how it's um, uh, portrayed there. So we have rebirth, we have rebellion, the punishment, and then humiliation, and then um, it continues on further with things that we haven't studied yet, um, with that exaltation, then suffering, disloyalty, and disinheritance. Versus on the flip side, in chapters 52 through 53, it has the, the opposites of each of those. 
So then it goes from, from ruin to compliance, deliverance, exaltation, uh, humiliation, salvation, loyalty, and then it ends up in inheritance. So kind of what I wanted to uh, approach in, in our group was to actually read Isaiah 14 together, since that's what's kind of in our reading this week. And when we get to 52 and 53, we'll, we'll kind of tackle those ones. But um, let me pull up the, the actual scriptures and, and we can kind of go ahead in um, chapter 14 of Isaiah tonight. Can I just ask a question before we read this? Yeah, for sure. So if this is the pattern. Um, where are we? I'm thinking that we're getting ready to the rebirth. But when was the ruin? So are you talking like as like collectively as a church as a world kind of a thing in um, the entire scope of things as the, as the covenant people mm -hmm. as the covenant people um so the the ruin and rebirth kind of from what i understand takes place cyclically um uh leading up to it on on lots of different levels so in our own personal journeys we uh ruin and and rebirth on each one of the levels and so i think that it it might be similar uh for the the covenant people as a whole where as we're collectively trying to ascend that we're we're ruining and rebirthing but i don't i don't i don't know i'm not putting that into coherent sentence <laughs> but anyway i open that up to, to everybody else like what do you think where are we at in um uh, if we're taking it as uh, a whole covenant people, where are we, we at on this uh, literary structure? Well, you're, would Cameron, would you pull that up again so we can look at that? Uh -huh, yeah, for sure. Um, like, are we saying that the whole ruin and all of that was the apostasy and we're in the rebirth? you know, and then the restoration, or are we saying that even in the restoration, there was that um, punishment and humiliation? And then was there a time of peace? And now as the end time comes that we're going to be entering that again before we are enter the millennium with, I would say, like exaltation mm -hmm. or birth, or do you see what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Yeah, for sure. I, I've honestly never taken this as a, a chronological kind of timeline for, for the end times. So uh, I, my, my brain's trying to process that as, uh, as we're talking here. Okay, maybe I'm just thinking weird. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're totally fine. I, I, love, I love taking a, a concept and, and trying to flesh it out there. Yeah. Let's see. And I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be like a big cycle for like the earth, but then, like I said, with like the oh. restoration, is it a smaller cycle within the cycle? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So let me pull up the uh, full on chart here because these two are specifically going in the context of the arch tyrant on the left and the servant on the right. Um, let me pull up my bifid structure 
And maybe I'm the only one interested. Maybe nobody else is. If nobody else is, we can just move on. Oh no, you're good. Yeah. Let's... Let's see. So as we have ruin and rebirth, rebellion and compliance, um, I would say like as a collective church, if we're wanting to apply it, maybe we, we kind of go with the uh, restoration of the gospel maybe and kind of plug that in for the rebirth. And then we have the compliance and um, uh, kind of those, those birth pains there that, that we experienced in uh, Nauvoo, Missouri, etc. Um, the punishment and deliverance where there's the, the fleeing into the wilderness, possibly. Uh, exaltation, uh, bringing about the, uh, the endowment in its, in its fullness. Um, well, I guess not, not full fullness, but, but organizing it how, how it did uh, with the St. George and, and Logan and, and Salt Lake temples there, Manti. Um, salvation, loyalty, inheritance. Interesting. Yeah, I, <laughs> my, my brain's kind of going blank on, on some of the stuff. So I, let's just leave that to think yeah, about. Yeah, we'll, we'll think about that one. I, but that's a very interesting uh, process, like how to look at that chronologically as a whole covenant people. I, I'm excited to, to look at that. Um, on that other chart that you had there to start with. Yes. We're not very far on that because the tyrant hasn't even shown up yet. And so, um, Correct. Yeah. So if we're looking at the, the arc tyrant and the end time servant, we, we haven't seen those play out for this, this end time scenario um, at all. And yet, and so that's, mm -hmm. yet you can say like in the early restoration, there certainly was an arc tyrant, you know, with mm -hmm. like Governor Boggs and the, um, uh, the mobs and specifically those that were targeting, well, they all targeted the saints, not just Joseph, but that's what I'm saying. Maybe within the big, there's also smaller mm -hmm. cycles. Yeah, for sure. Kind of as we're, we're talking about composites all the time, you know, types and shadows, and we have like the scenarios playing out um, over again uh, into to that hole. Yeah, very interesting. Well, we were just talking about going to end time classes, so it made me think about, you know, the overall in Isaiah talking about how does this relate to us now, mm -hmm. not individually, but collectively and where we are and all of that. Anyway. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, Leslie, did you mean to raise your hand? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, can you hear me? Yep. Uh, I figured I would, it was in settings that it was all a mess. Um, I am so new to Isaiah. I bought all of Avraham's books, but that doesn't mean that I have read them yet, but for the family so we can all learn together. Um, I have a very elementary question. Um, is the king of Assyria and the king of Babylon, are they intended to be the same person is it like one is from one country one is from another does anybody know 
yeah. So from what I understand with some of Abraham's commentaries, um, they are in the historical part of it. Um, so like Isaiah's day, uh, he's talking about two different people because that's kind of what he's seeing. But as far as an end time setting, he's meaning them to be a composite for uh, one specific arc tyrant kind of thing. Okay. Um, but in a, a historical sense, yeah, they're, they're very different and, and they play out in uh, different ways with, because uh, uh, like Assyria is uh, kind of the first tyrant that, that comes on the scene to like conquer people, etc. And, and Babylon uh, kind of has a different goal in mind, yet uh, together they, they form this, this major um, composite for the end times, is what I've understood anyway. Thank you. I heard him saying in one of the, the commentaries that it would be like Hitler and Stalin and Darth Vader all to <laughs> one. So. I know. I love when he, he like pulls in a couple that are like, okay. And then like the Darth Vader comment. I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> well, well, that leaves us something to look forward to. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I, yeah, when we really dive into um, the Arc Tyrant, there it's some pretty dark, scary stuff that, that's coming our way, and pretty soon too. I'm also wondering on that on about the King of Babylon and the King of Assyria. Doesn't isn't there? I'm trying to remember. Isn't there kind of a a tyrant for the? old world if you want to call it that and then there's one over here and so is that the difference between the king of babylon and the king of assyria is anybody else remembering that or no is it just me well the the art the art tyrant as i understand it um starts over here but ends up over there I think it's the same person as I, as I understand it. I just thought like, like the antichrist that will come will be of Arab descent and will be over there, but over here we'll have a different, and then like they kind of combine. Mm -hmm. That's why I was wondering, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know on that. <laughs> if anybody has any insights into it, for sure. Okay. Um, let's see. I, I find it very interesting as we're going through this. So group A made it through like two verses and group B, I think we eventually got to like six verses of it. <laughs> and group C like, uh, I don't know, maybe we're just not meant to, to read Isaiah 14 and stuff, but because all of the groups kind of take it in, in lots of different directions and stuff. Um, but does anyone have any other questions? Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's where we're supposed to spend our time too. I don't know, because there's lots of uh, great uh, ideas and, and brainstorming here. Um, but, you know, I, <laughs> I'm just kind of going with the, the game plan of Isaiah 14. But if anyone ever has any questions that they want to like bring up, uh, those are excellent. Um, so as we 
kind of take a look in Isaiah 14, if we just want to read like a couple verses. So like, I'll start off, uh, my mom can read the, the second one. So this is uh, the verse and then Avraham's commentary after it to kind of help us uh, uh, dive into uh, what is being talked about here. So starting off in, in verse one, it says that I, Jehovah, will have compassion on Jacob and once again choose Israel. He will, he will settle them in their own land and proselytes will adhere to them and join the house of Jacob. So his commentary is that Jehovah's people of the Jacob-Israel category may yet inherit the blessing of a promised land if they repent and renew their covenant relationship with Jehovah their God. He prom his promise gives them hope no matter in what circumstances that they find themselves. The verbs have compassion and choose denote the elect status of those who prove faithful in keeping the terms of Jehovah's covenant. For them, its blessings ultimately become unconditional. Many who observe how Jehovah blesses his people unite with them to become one nation in the end. So I think that that's, you know, interesting how it, um, even the nations kind of form a composite. Uh, it seems that the Lord's always working in this composite pattern. Um, what has been shall be, uh, as Nephi says. And um, so everything that, that's ever played out, that's why it's so important to know history and, and, and the way that God works so that we can recognize the pattern and um, work at, at living our, our best history here. <laughs> um, Mother, would you read uh, verse two in the commentary there? Okay. <clears throat> the nations will take them and bring them to their own place. And the house of Israel will possess them as men servants and maidservants in the land of Jehovah. They will take captive their captors and rule over their oppressors. Those who inherit the land of Jehovah, which in a millennial context becomes their own place, are escorted home, escorted home by Jehovah's servants from among the nations. Just as Joseph ministered to his brothers in the land of Egypt and saved them from the curse of a famine, so certain spiritual kings and queens of the Gentiles minister to Jehovah's people and escort them in a new exodus to Zion. <coughs> in a second exodus, after Jehovah has instituted his reign of peace on the earth, those who are thus gathered gather up the remaining remnants of his people. They will take captive their captors and rule over their oppressors. Different spiritual categories of both Jehovah's people and the nations exist side by side through the end of time and into Jehovah's millennial reign of peace. The fact that all of the earth's wicked perish in Jehovah's day of judgment and only those who repent of transgressions survive doesn't preclude the survival of some former captors and oppressors of Jehovah's people or their descendants. Many will convert to Israel's God and serve him by serving his elect as they learn his ways. So, yeah, I think that this is an interesting principle. Uh, I think... Uh, Janet in group A brought it up, but um, that there's this new exodus to Zion, but then in a second exodus, that those who have already been gathered up 
will then go out and start gathering the remaining remnants of his people. So it's kind of like the um, olive tree allegories, you know, that the, the, there's different phases and uh, we're, we're constantly bringing people in here. Um, and that, it just kind of makes sense, you know, as we're just looking at the, the ministering model to heaven that um, we have when we, we get pulled in we don't just go and and retire in zion we, we go back out and, and help the lord bring more people in and stuff too yeah alicia so those those who are thus gathered gather up is that kind of a reference to like the hundred and forty four thousand? uh-huh yeah i i think that they definitely fit in that um to uh you know, somewhere along the lines, uh, the the fishers of men versus the hunters of men kind of thing. And so um, that they're the 144 gathering up the, the remnants there. I think that that's a, an excellent possibility. Yeah, you know. Yeah, what I, you know, I when I heard that read, it, it reminded me of, you know, the events of the last days. And many of us that study that know that a time will come and there'll be a we call it the call out, but when the righteous are asked, invited to come and go to special places of refuge, tent cities, camps, whatnot, and then really a lot of bad things happen, the bigger, the biggest earthquake and the plagues and the, all that go on. But once that's done, then there's supposed to be a foreign invasion in our land. And then we go forth from the camps um, to re-inhabit the desolate cities of North and South America, to rebuild this country under constitutional government, and eventually till it overflows to fill the whole earth. And I, I mean, what when what, when I heard that read, that's exactly what it told me was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. It's interesting to even ponder all of that and how it's going to play out. Like, okay, where am I going to be at? How is that going to? Uh... Uh, be for for me and my family kind of thing uh, <laughs> to to go out of these camps and, and actually start resettling kind of like that that Brigham era of uh, rebuilding uh, cities and uh, and government kind of thing very interesting to think about um, let's see I had I had a quick comment too. It just, it just reiterates to me the importance of us learning how to minister and what a huge role that is going to be in the end time is ministering. And um, our family just barely gave, just barely spoke in church uh, a couple of weeks ago and we spoke on ministering and uh, it just, all this just made me think about that and everything that, that I had studied for my talk and how, what, what an important part ministering is going to play and how important it is for us to learn how to do that right now. It's just, it, it was just um, a testimony to me just to read this now. Yeah, for sure. Why do you think that, that ministering is such a important part of the plan? Why is there this ministering ladder to, to heaven? Why do we, um, have our our home teaching and visiting teaching and and how it moved into the the ministering itself like why is it so important that we we do this why doesn't the lord just 
send us ministering angels and, and why do we have to do it here uh, amongst ourselves kind of thing? <laughs> I think one reason is because that's how we grow. That's how we learn and that's how we grow. If, if we always were ministered to and never had to do the ministering, we wouldn't really learn anything, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, I think it's a learning. Yeah. And to, you know, just to, to learn to, yeah, like she said, to be like Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh I, yeah. In this view, I can't see the, the comments. Yeah. The ultimate minister. I, I love that. Yeah. Alethea. I think that um, ministering is an eternal principle. Like you said, there's ministering angels, you know, our family that's passed on now are ministers to us and Christ ministers. I think Heavenly Father ministers. It's, it's an eternal principle to mm-hmm. minister. Yeah. And so does it always need to, um, to be someone higher up on the ladder or someone who's been through what we've been through or uh, et cetera, or, or can it literally be anyone? Like say uh, someone who, I, I don't know, I, I'm just gonna leave it at that other previous question. <laughs> My mind was going through another question and, and that's in, in a second, I'll, I'll pose that one. <laughs> visions of glory, remember there was one part where his, grandfather who had already lived and his son who wasn't born yet came and ministered to him Mm -hmm. so his son who hadn't been born yet hadn't gone through anything yeah i don't i don't know if that's always true but he was connected to his father and and was concerned about not being born right so there was some interest well maybe it's just those that are I don't know. Mm-hmm. But in that, in that, if you believe that, then in that, in that incident, it was not someone who had gone through what he'd gone through mm-hmm. as having lived life. Yeah, that's a great example. I hadn't thought of that one in, in that question. And then Stefan says that he thinks that we all made covenants in the pre-existence to do this. Yeah. It, 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 I just want the veil parted and I want to see the pre-existence. I want to see all of my things that I agreed to so that I can just like complete them and, and make sure that I'm doing right. <laughs> um, Cameron, I just saw this quote today by um, Robert D. Hells. Charity is the ability to make life more meaningful for others. I don't know why, but that just really hit me today that like ministering doesn't have to be it's just helping people their life be more meaningful mm-hmm. I, I never thought about that, that in that way yeah I love that and you said that that was uh Richard D Hills oh Hills yeah mm-hmm. all of a sudden Maxwell popped in my head maybe there's a <laughs> Maxwell like that. yeah thank you I, I love that me and my mom were just our my mom's mouth was open sorry go for it Uh, All I was going to say is it's through this ministering that we learn to love people. If we serve them, it's near impossible not to love them. Mm -hmm. We were just commenting on it uh, tonight, me and my mom. We're like, 
what would we do without each other? Like, what would we do without this like buddy system that we've got going on? You know, because as we're learning and growing, yes, we can talk to others about stuff, but uh, having somebody that's on the same level, uh, pursuing the same goals or kind of going through the same obstacles and just having some of that, uh, I don't know, understanding. Sometimes it can be empathy, but like just, uh, being, just camaraderie. Yeah, camaraderie, but like yeah. being able to, to freely speak because, you know, like I can't talk to my ministering brother like, oh, I'm really having a hard time with this covenant this week. <laughs> you know, like sometimes it's a little hard. And, and I guess that that's where my one question was trying to go. Uh, but like sometimes when we receive ministering from others that might not be all that genuine or might be lower on the ladder, sometimes we can kind of dismiss it out of hand and... Uh, not totally dismiss it that's the wrong word but you know just not accept it appreciate it yeah appreciate it there and um but how important it is for all of us to minister even though we might feel inadequate or uncomfortable or like you know i i've always thought of the example of people that um have home taught the the prophet or or one of the apostles kind of thing like that must be real inadequate you might like (laughs) i i'm just making sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing here, but you know, I, <laughs> how can you, you teach the prophet kind of thing? But um, in, in our own realms of uh, spheres of influence kind of thing uh, to, to never make anyone feel uncomfortable with their ministering and to um, make sure that we just go the extra mile in um, knowing that that, that effort is, is appreciated no matter uh, what form it comes in kind of thing. Um, I, I don't let, know, kind of a long Let rap. them minister to us. Sometimes we get, I don't know, it's kind of hard to accept help sometimes, but yeah. we need to allow them to have those blessings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I don't know, life is life is pretty tough, especially when you're like trying to to delve into mysteries and and uh the the gospel meets right and uh, you you just need somebody to talk through it with to uh make sure that you're you've kind of got like this check and and balance system kind of thing um and i don't know we we just need to always be looking for um that in others like what if one of our ministering families that, that we're going to is learning something, but they're kind of like nervous to even talk about it or whatever, like to, to make sure that we can foster good conversations uh, and, and let them express themselves. Maybe they're, they're looking for uh, a good uh, conversation buddy or someone that can help them cast out or, you know, like whatever the, the case may be, but um, taking ministering to a, to a new level, I don't know why this is like such at the forefront of my thoughts but anyway i <laughs> kind of got distracted on that on that route anyway yeah go ahead then well uh as far as ministering goes you made the comment you know it's it's a lot easier to talk to your mom than it would be to somebody that's coming in to minister to you but if a person is doing ministering the way that they should they should be as close to you or almost as close to you as what your mother is, as what your father is. Uh, 
ministering is becoming a friend and becoming, I guess, part of your family so that you will turn to them when you need help. Yeah, that's a great point. Because I don't know, my ministering assignments aren't necessarily to that level. <laughs> I can't even imagine that level quite with, with some of them. But yeah, that we really should be on that kind of a par uh, so that we're each other's first responders kind of thing. Yeah, Alethea. Well, I, you guys are all talking about ministering and what we should be doing. It just made me think that of times where I've reached out and ministered. And in ministering, I feel uplifted and edified and in a sense ministered too. So in my ministering, I'm also ministered. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like, you know, there, there might be a seraphim or, or uh, ministering angels on the other side that are, they're helping bear you up at the same time kind of thing, you know? Uh, like. No, I think in ministering to the person I minister to, that oh, you're developing personally. Yeah. Like it, it edifies me. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Me feel like that person, maybe I'm ministering to them, but in return, without them knowing it, they've ministered to me or I've been uplifted and learned a new gospel principle or learn you know something that i'm still ministered and edified through ministering okay yeah gotcha yeah because i i've definitely uh had that happen as well you know just unexpected uh results of of a ministering visit kind of thing yeah all right um Another great tangent, let's see, not a tangent, I shouldn't call it that, but, <laughs> but another great uh, avenue of, of comments there. Um, let's see, so did we even get to, to three? No, we're in three. Okay, so verse three, in the day Jehovah gives you relief from grief and anguish and from the arduous servitude imposed upon you, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, how the tyrant has met his end and tyranny ceased. So unlike Jehovah's elect who participate in an end time exodus to Zion, and unlike the wicked who perish from the earth, a middle category of Jehovah's people survives his day of judgment without his direct divine intervention. These suffer the curse of servitude to the Assyrian arch tyrant, who here appears under his religious and cultic title, King of Babylon, in the pattern of ancient Assyrian conquerors of Babylon. In this parody of a lament, beginning with the word how, those who survive the, his servitude launch into a taunt, glad to see the end of him and his tyranny. So that also kind of um, goes back to Leslie's question at the beginning there. So this Assyrian Babylon uh, kind of back and forth. Uh, one thing that's interesting with the Assyrians is before they would conquer any group of people, they would actually uh, start calling themselves the king of that place. So when the Assyrians wanted to call or wanted to conquer Babylon, they actually said, oh, we're the kings of Babylon, and, and, and so we're going to destroy you. So it was kind of like a, a weird way to 
to start the battle before even going into battle. Uh, you, you're just assuming a new title and, and calling yourselves the king of, of that person, staking claim over them kind of thing. Um, but how great will be um, <laughs> the joy when the tyranny actually ceases, uh, when that tyrant is uh, put under, um, uh, those who actually survive his, his servitude uh, launch into that taunt, um, how he's met his end. Don't you feel like we've been living under that tyranny for several hundred years? Uh, I didn't quite catch that. It's kind of muffled. Like something might be over the speaker or something. Probably. Oh, there you go. So don't you feel like, as at least as a nation, where the church has been restored as a covenant people, we've been living under that tyrant, that tyranny for several hundred years? Yeah. I, we <laughs> We claim to have like freedoms you know this is the land of the free home of the brave kind of thing but um really we we have lots of oppression still we have lots of servitude and, and stuff uh yeah okay i have one more question mm -hmm. go for it i just keep monopolizing okay pull that down just a little bit yep. go back to that verse three mm. okay so in the commentary unlike jehovah's elect who participate in an end time exodus to Zion. What do you all think that exodus will happen in this time of um, tribulations? Like I mentioned, I think it's the call out. I think it's when the prophet says it's time to pack up your stuff and go to places of safety. And, and then we go right. from there. But how long into the tribulations do you think it will be? Um, that will we experience? I think some people think we won't experience anything. I think others think we're going to experience way more than we thought we would. Yeah, I my studies say that we'll have a financial collapse. We're going to have probably at least one plague and an internal war starting in Chicago that you know leads to unrest and conflict. At least those three things happen before the call out. I think and 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 an earthquake that's worse than the last one, but not the big one. And I just saw, I wish I could remember what it was called, but there's a new illness out, a new plague. And there's monkeypox. Monkeypox. And, monkey and yes. there's another well, one too. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't remember what it was called, if it was the monkeypox, but this is how it was described. See if it sounds familiar. That there's purple spots that go all over your body. You start uh -huh. to... And then within a few days, you die. Does that sound mm -hmm. familiar? It's monkeypox and it's kind of like That's smallpox. That's what I was wondering. But where did you read about that before? Do you remember? Visions of glory. Visions of glory. Yes. yes, where they would put themselves in the body bag to die because they didn't want to infect anyone else. And, you know, I always read those and I'm like, I know Spencer said, don't take this literal because things I thought was literal was metaphorical. And those things I thought were metaphorical were literal. So I just <laughs> put it in the back of my head. And then when I read that, I was like, okay, oh no, this is exactly <laughs> what Spencer said. Maybe that's like literal. And our, I mean, we know we're not right at that spot where he was talking about because 
that big earthquake and flood haven't happened. Is that going to happen or is that just metaphorical? You know, so I don't know. I, that just kind of, I don't want to say struck me with fear, but it was more like, well, pull that off the shelf. Maybe that's really happening. You know, one thing I take comfort in at least is, is uh, as far as timeline goes, I think it's one of the earthquakes that kind of triggers it. And Salt Lake Temple won't be finished here for another two or three years. So <laughs> emotionally, I say we've got a little bit of time. Yeah, I just don't know how nice that little bit of time will be. <laughs> yeah, but who knows if it'll be totally finished. Like it, right now, it's already got the stuff. Yeah, you know, it's secured. Have the earthquake part finished and, and happen. I, I know what you're saying. So it's yeah. watch ready. <laughs> Well, already talking about more lockdowns and ma and vaccine passports. Oh. Yeah, it's I, a crazy week. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I just don't know if I want. <laughs> Can I just like go to the mountains already? And yet, I kind of feel like that's not going to be my calling to go yeah. to the mountains. Uh huh. Yeah, that's it's interesting as we're like. Oh, mm -hmm. sorry, go for it. I say that's what Spencer in conversations outside of the book said, well, you didn't see the call out. You didn't see all that. And he said, no, because that wasn't my calling. My calling was to remain and, and help the church. So who knows what our callings will be? I feel like my calling is to stay here and that I'll have people who are going where they need to go. And my job is to, it's like a little underground railroad, get them healed, rested, fed, warm and help them move on that very well could be maybe those of you who are going to the places of safety <laughs> <laughs> i really feel like our job is to make our home this place of safety right now mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah i i have definite feelings and things on on what my uh, mission needs to be and stuff and and i don't feel uh, necessarily the call out kind of um, thing, but I, I, you know, recognize that that is for, for lots of people, especially those fleeing from some of those bigger cities, et cetera. And right, right. Some of the areas like Cache Valley and Manti and Ephraim, that's where people are going and they're not going to mm -hmm. be called, they're going to host people. So, yeah. I also, you know, somebody had posted a while back, I don't know what group it was in, but said, Hey, are you guys feeling called to go to Missouri and New Jersey? I think they said New Jerusalem. And it made me think I'd seen a map of New Jerusalem because it's massive. It's like massive. So I looked it up and I didn't know why suddenly the Lord moved us up here unexpectedly. But actually where we are, we are in New Jerusalem. <laughs> and so I just thought that's kind of interesting. I think we all think Missouri, but I don't think we need to be in Missouri to be in New Jerusalem if it's in Revelation, I can't remember where it was, but I did a quick search and it told me, but uh, it, you know, how many furlongs it is and how it's like 1500 by 1500 miles. Oh yeah. At the end of the day, it covers all of North and South America. So. Right. But at first in Revelations, it says 1500 by 1500 and it comes below the Dallas Fort Worth area. Doesn't quite make it to Utah, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Goes up to the northern border and then goes way over. And I just thought, wow, there's a lot of us living in New Jerusalem. Maybe we were called there, not realizing it, thinking we'd be called to Missouri. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be called to Missouri yet because 
was it John Taylor that you were talking about or Wilfred Woodruff who had the vision that not a yellow dog will be left wagging his tail? Yeah. I don't know if I want to be there. Just so. follow the prophet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, anyway. But yeah, how important it is to, to really hear him and uh, receive our own missions, make sure that we're following the covenants, make sure that our homes are sanctuaries of faith. Like all of this stuff is like, it, it fills you with lots of faith in the midst of lots of fear mongering and, and the world that we're living in, you know, like <laughs> I, I'm so grateful that we have a prophet. Like, mm. What would it be like living through this time if we didn't have the restoration or uh, the, the gospel as a whole kind of thing, you know, like that would be one scary place <laughs> to, to, to navigate. You have a couple more comments in the chat. Oh, sorry. Um, um, let's see. So um, it's like when we share our testimony with our, um, we ourselves are strengthened in our testimonies. Yeah, because we have to like kind of, in order to even develop a testimony, we have to just open our mouth and start sharing that kind of principle. Yeah. Well, and when we open our mouth, the spirit testifies to us as we're testifying to others. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then the temple, uh, Salt Lake Temple, is now seismic good, is what uh, Stefan has heard. So yeah, uh, it, <laughs> it's interesting, lots of different visions or, or people that have seen uh, dreams or whatever of, of the Salt Lake Temple in, in its various phases and, and things. I'm going through the uh, dreams, visions, and near-death experiences with Avraham uh, podcasting. Uh, anyway, he has uh, a, a good discussion on, on that Salt Lake Temple there. It's been kind of fun to listen to. Um, let's see. Now, where are we at? So we're almost out of time. Yep. How many verses did we get through on this one? 14 is just not in the cards. For some reason, we're <laughs> not supposed to read that one. <laughs> four. Four, four verses. Yep. Yeah, because we haven't read five yet. Um, but in, let me jump down to one verse that we, I, our in-person group did get quite a bit further, but we weren't reading the commentary. Maybe that's the whole problem there. Um, so verse 28 and 29, I found very interesting. Um, so it says that in the year King Ahaz died came this oracle Rejoice not, all you Philistines, now that the rod which struck you is broken, from among the descendants of that snake shall spring up a viper, and his offspring shall be a fiery flying serpent. And so, I don't know, this was very confusing to me until I started like hovering over the words and looking up the footnotes, etc. Um, but it's interesting here that the rod usually represents uh, the end time servant. Um, so it says here that the rod in this particular verse is a pseudonym for King Ahaz, who acts as a type of an end time ruler who smites the enemies of Jehovah's people, who oppress them and who seek to destroy them from their promised land. So um, it's a, a good context here. And then we have snake, viper, fiery flying serpent, uh, the reason that it stood out to me the first time I was reading it is because they're highlighted in blue, which it means a good thing. And usually snake, viper, fiery flying serpent, 
we have as the evil connotations that Satan has usurped, right? But those are originally meant to, to point to Christ. And so um, we looked at the rod. Now we look at the snake and find that it too is a messianic term and pseudonym of King Ahaz, who acts as the type of an end time ruler who smites the enemies um, who oppress them and who begets another ruler like him. So who was King Ahaz's son? Who is this uh, ruler who's like him? We see that in the next verse or the next uh, line here shall spring up a viper. And that viper is a messianic term and pseudonym for King Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, who restores the pure worship of Jehovah among his people and acts as a type of Jehovah's end time servant who does the same. So taking a look at that, we have, let me just kind of uh, read it again, but substituting those words. So it says, rejoice not all you Philistines, now that the rod which struck you is broken. From among the descendants of King Ahaz shall spring up King Hezekiah, his son, and his offspring shall be a fiery flying serpent. So who's the fiery flying serpent? Is it, I mean, because Manasseh is like the most evil of evil people. So what does the fiery flying serpent, who's uh, he's highlighted in blue, so it's a, a good uh, sign here. Who does that point to? Um I'm going to say Christ because a fiery flying serpent would be really terrifying and overcome a lot of things, which Christ overcame. Yeah, for sure. Um, so here in, uh, this is just Oliver Holmes commentary, um, a messianic term and pseudonym of Jehovah's end time servant, a descendant of David who acts as a seraph slash savior to Jehovah's people under the terms of the Davidic covenant. And so, um, but but yes, because Christ totally typifies that that fiery flying serpent that that overcomes that right, and Christ does come from the uh, the lineage of this snake and this viper right. Um, Hezekiah a has their uh, part of his ancestry, and likewise will be the end time Davidic figure um, is from that same lineage under the terms of the Davidic covenant. Um, it's. Uh, hereditary thing that the the throne will always be um part of that lineage uh which i thought was interesting anyway that was just a really intriguing verse for me that i i hadn't fully caught on to the to the meanings before until uh looking at uh, avraham's highlights and commentary and kind of comparing the things across um because uh Let's see, in our in-person group, we were reading the King James Version and the Isaiah Institute Version. The fiery flying serpent here um, is translated, uh, I think, about the same. But on the one hand, there was a viper, and in the King James, it was a cockatrice. And the, the serpent and the snake uh, were, were very similar. But um, we have the, the cockatrice, which kind of points forward to millennial times and, and some of the scriptures that talk about millennial uh, events versus the fiery flying serpent that, that definitely goes backward to the time of Moses. Um, and so they're kind of like these little bookends uh, talking about what has been shall be, that everything kind of gets repeated in, the, in these patterns. 
anyway, <laughs> I feel like I took up a lot of time there on some random comments. I don't even know. Hopefully everyone's enjoying the, the literary structure of Isaiah. Um, it, it's very hard for me. It's not how my brain works, but uh, diving into the actual text of Isaiah is uh, quite a struggle. And so I really love the literary message of Isaiah. It really helps kind of pull out some of the mysteries for me, um, but also Avraham's commentary on uh, the Isaiah Explained website, or uh, there's lots of different places to find it. Um, but anyway, any kind of final comments, questions, any more tangents or rabbit holes that we can go down <laughs> before we end tonight? <laughs> I have loved the series, the dreams and visions that I got. Yeah, it is so it's fun. It's been it? fascinating, yes. Yeah, because like Avraham's commentary just on the, the whole book of Isaiah, uh, great. It's a, It took me two or three times through it to really understand stuff. And then I read or listened to the Book of Mormon one, the right. uh, prophecy podcast that's free out there. That was great. But this one, this one is very interesting, pulling from lots of different scriptures and uh, lots of different dreams and visions out there. Like, I don't know, it just pieces together so much of what we're experiencing in this day. Like, Revelation is coming from lots of different sources to lots of different people. And how it all matches up with scripture, uh, I, I found very exciting, intriguing to, to see that. You know, like, I don't you know, with the whole visions of glory thing, you know, it's a, a polarizing topic, right? As, as you find, like many people are like, oh, you subscribe to that, ooh, kind of thing. <laughs> but at the same time, like I take it with a grain of salt, like it was his revelation. I'm just a fly on the wall, just kind of looking at it, you know, like as long as you, you know, are, are taking that and then receiving your own inspirations and revelations and dreams, etc., then it, you know, <laughs> it's just some training wheels to kind of get into it and then uh seeing what what's out there because i i think that we all have the the gift of prophecy for our own lives kind of thing and so you know mm -hmm. like um uh, it's just amazing uh taking all of those and comparing them uh through that podcast. and and how so many of spencer's things line up with isaiah just like it's like yeah. to me it's like kind of like wow i I've always, I would just have always liked that book. And then to hear, oh, you know, it lines up. I'm, I just think it's like, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he said that he only shared about 30%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You just want to sit down with him and pick his brain? <laughs> yep. <laughs> now that's someone to have come to our book club. <laughs> I know. Can I you line that up? I I'm working on it. We'll see. We don't even know who he is, do we? Do we know yeah. who Spencer is? Yeah. No, there's a lot of people that know him. I can't. His last name's Harrison, isn't it? I can't remember his first yeah. name. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know if anybody knew his last name. Oh yeah. I don't know. It, the name means nothing to me, so I never remember it. But there's a lot of people that know who he is. Yeah, from what I know, he probably wouldn't come into our group. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I, he's very. I from what I understand, he just does not want to be in the limelight with that at all. There's yeah. the fire side that he did, and I think that was yeah, uh, yeah. So, well, but he just sounds so humble and just yeah, just so loving. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, what was I going to say? There was something there. I forgot it. Anyway, <laughs> hopefully it wasn't important. Um, but yeah, any other questions or anything before we... I have a question. I haven't read Visions of Glory. It's it's on my list, but um, but there is a YouTube video that he does. Some of you might have seen it. Is that does he share a lot of the same things in that that are in the book? That's a yeah. YouTube video. There's only one. It's that interview that you're talking about. Oh, I yeah. think it's the same interview. It's like a fireside or something. Yeah, it's Pontius is the guy that's talking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it covers the same stuff, but it's just, I mean, it's only an hour. The book gives you a lot more. But But in the the fireside, I felt like he did expound on some things that weren't expounded on in the book, but there was a lot more in the book than in the fireside. I would recommend reading the book first and then going to the fireside to kind of fill in some of those yeah okay yeah it's on my list definitely just haven't gotten to that one yet (laughs) (laughs) yep maybe we'll go to that one i i don't know (laughs) we'll see what happens after isaiah (laughs) um but yeah so i i guess with that we'll we'll kind of say i do for the night but been fun as always (laughs) i i I love coming to to class i never know where it's going to take us but uh Typically, it's never where I expected to go. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thank we you. Will... Yeah, we'll Bye. see everyone next week. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Bye.